And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the word of God, directly from God to Moses, for the people of God today. Thank you, God. That is such a powerful passage. And uh, this few sermons, I call them Exodus, because we're talking about the Exodus that God provides to us through Jesus Christ. But we begin by starting where things start. I want to let you know that a few years ago I saw the business opportunity that was booming and still is in our uh, region and through across the United States, and that is if you own land and put up storage buildings for rent. Did you know that most of them are rented before they're even built? People are desperate for storage for their stuff. Most people who have their own property have a garage to put stuff in, and because that stuff's full, they got a little storage building beside that. And some people have barns and other barns and outbuildings and all this to put stuff. Is it amazing how many people have stuff? Do you have too much stuff that sometimes you wonder where to put it? We have been in a purge for six years of stuff and we have more stuff than we had when we started. I don't understand it, but I think it's because stuff just kind of gravitates to us. I don't know, maybe, maybe you're not like that, but I look around and I go, where did it all come from? I did something about a year and two months ago now, three months ago. I took a video of the house and the way it looked when we were getting ready to go to um, Mobile. And I wanted to uh, just take a frame of reference and I watched it yesterday. And I said, well, there's no stuff there. And there's no stuff here. And, and the stuff that we got now, that's, that, that wasn't there then. In a year and two and a half, three months, a lot of stuff showed up that wasn't in that video. And I went, wow. You know, it would have been a lot simpler to have less stuff. But instead, there's more stuff. You know, we need it, right? It's tempting. It's intriguing. We find reasons to need it. And I promise you, the word need in that statement is want. Not need. There are very few needs in this world that we buy. There are mostly wants. Unfortunately, we have not learned from our parents the difference between need and want. All of us. And my children have not learned it either. They have needs for the latest and greatest. It's a need. Can't live without it. Friends have it. i got to have it. But I want you to hear what Jesus says in Luke to a young man who comes to him and says, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance among me, uh, with me. First of all, he says, I'm not your arbitrator. It's not my concern, your stuff. He says this to the guy. Take heed and beware of covetousness. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Life is not stuff. I saw a t-shirt one time that said, He who dies with the most toys wins. But I've also heard a song that said, I've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack or a U-Haul in the back. I've also heard that when you die, the one who dies with the most toys is still dead. You can't take it with you. You can uh, bequest it, say it's going to stay in the family, but you're not taking it where you're going. Promise you, you won't need it there. One place it'll get destroyed and the other place is already filled with enough stuff you don't need more. This stuff won't be any good anyway. Your clothes and all that, they're not going to fit. In heaven, they're not going to fit. You're not going to need them if you end up the other place. Promise. It'll just be pointless. But you think about it. We are addicted to stuff. And I don't know why. I think it's because we believe if we have something, it will make our lives better. Or more convenient. Or easier. Or more comfortable. Or to help us do things better. My sister used to be in Tupperware. And I used to go to these rallies. And I was so amazed at these rallies. Look, all these women gathered getting excited about Tupperware. And I'm just sitting there and this lady starts talking about this bowl. Got a lid on it, right? She shows us about 15 different things we could do with that bowl I never thought of. And all of a sudden, I needed that bowl. Matter of fact, I needed five of them because one wouldn't be enough. And I'm going, oh my gosh, why do I even... I don't even want a bowl, but I need five. That's what stuff does. That's how things happen. And people get excited about stuff because they think it makes life better. But Jesus said, and, and contrary to what everything who is trying to tell you something by selling it tells you is life is not stuff. It does not consist in what you possess or what you might possess. Well, that's not fair. If it isn't that, then what is life? What is life about if it isn't about acquiring and gaining and making yourself a name? Well, I asked myself this question as we went around Israel. I was looking at all the different places and scenes and wondered, I, I hate to tell you this, but when Jesus walked the earth, there was no internet. They didn't even have cell phones. They didn't have computers. They didn't have ink pens. Notebooks. They didn't have Fortnite. That's a very popular video game right now. They didn't have any games like that whatsoever. And I would ask the youth in some of the generation today, how did they survive? Because that's the question. They said, what would they do? They were bored, right? They weren't bored. They're too busy digging homes for themselves and crop planting and trying to survive. Life back then was making it through a day to get ready for the harvest season or the planting season or to get ready to provide for a better place to put that stuff. 
the, the necessities that they actually had to do consumed most of their day. But listen to this. They did it together. They worked as one. They lived in the same place. Generation after generation closely knitted together and they were all about family. Togetherness. Community. We've lost that because we want stuff rather than people. People say, well, I socialize all the time online. It's not the same. can't hug a person online. You can't shake their hand. And as a matter of fact, if you've never met the person online, you don't even know what color their car is. Have no idea anything about those intricate details of someone's life that you already know about a friend who you've known for years. Face to face. So stuff changes everything and it changes you. So that was what I was thinking about in Israel. And I said, could I have survived or would I have enjoyed or what would I have done with my time living in caves or in uh, chalk, we saw chalk, homes or stone homes or thatch homes or as a nomad in tents. How would I, would I, would I have been able to do that? What, for them, what mattered? It wasn't stuff. They weren't talking about stuff. The Bible doesn't say, and they had great stuff with which they spent their life acquiring. It says that they spent their time together, working together to build a life and a family and a home and to provide. We've got so much free time now, we we use it to get stuff rather than to build family and communicate and have relationships. Why? Why? because we've forgotten how to work together. That unsettled me when I realized that. But it's true. It's become very common. We've saved so much time for all the conveniences so we can have more time to watch TV. Well, no, maybe not TV. Maybe to be online or chat or post on social media. More time to do that. But we still aren't with people doing that. We're with ourselves trying to feel connected. Connected is the word. The reason we do this is because we don't know what our values are anymore. People have told us what they should be and we go that way. It's kind of like this guy in Luke who uh, comes to Jesus when he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I believe he's asking that because his brother wasn't going to. I don't think his brother had planned on giving the younger brother any of the inheritance. And he was upset. That would be the only reason that statement would make sense, right? Because the oldest gets it all. If so, uh, by chance, if the father decides to give some to the younger, that's a, a rarity. But the oldest usually is the one that runs the estate, takes care of things. And so the younger brother says, tell my brother to give me Some of the inheritance to divide it with me. And Jesus looks at him and says, uh, I'm not about stuff. Basically what he says. I'm not about stuff. I'm not a Lord of stuff. I'm a Lord of souls. Did you get that? I mean, he cares about you and what you value, but he wants you to value him and your soul to find its greatest delight in him, not in stuff or the acquiring of it. So he, in one sense, was in bondage to stuff. Why? 
How many nights do you think he thought about this? Why my brother isn't doing this? What's wrong with him? Doesn't he understand I don't have anything and, and, if, and if dad didn't leave me anything, then I'm not going to have any place to live. You know, It's just not right. My brother's going to kick me out of the family. I don't know what he's going to do. And he's just restless. Yeah, some of us would want to say to that young man, why don't you get a job? <laughs> Provide for yourself and not rely on someone giving you something to survive. Why not work? Do what you got to do. It wasn't his thought. His thought was, I want the stuff that my dad has. My part of it. Instead of thinking about what he should do to be responsible for his life forward. Oh, it's nice to have an inheritance. I remember in the, uh, in the 90s, I got a small one. And uh, it was gone on a TV and a couple other things. And that was it. A very small inheritance. But it was stuff I got with it. That was it. I thought, boy, I'm going to buy a lot with this. And it was just a better TV. Which is now, of course, long gone. Stuff. Stuff that's here today, gone tomorrow. And yet, here I was thinking that this money would be good to make my life better. Nowhere in this scenario, when this young man comes up and asks Jesus to arbitrate on this, does he say, tell my brother to help me build this a better world. To help us to give to the temple. Rather, I want mine. I want mine. There's no nobility in getting what's yours. The nobility is in getting what's yours to give to God. Or asking God to bless you to bless others. But He doesn't ask for that. And so Jesus is saying, why do you want me to judge or arbitrate over this? And, and then He says, beware of covetousness. For life does not consist of the abundance of things you possess. And that covetousness, as we, we learn in Colossians, is idolatry. If you want something, it means you've made an idol over it. Or you want something somebody else has, it means it's become what you think about, what you obsess over. This covetousness is why it's so dangerous to want and not see it as a want, rather as a need. I've convinced myself of a lot of stuff that I thought were needs. And all of those things, if not all of them, most of them, are long gone. Long gone. So he tells us this story about a rich man. His crop was plentiful. Kind of like the 153 fish last week. He thought to himself, well, I've got such a big harvest, i got no room to store them all. I didn't expect this. My little barns aren't big enough, so I'm going to... Uh, Tear down those barns and build bigger ones and I'll store all my crops and all my goods in those bigger barns for my stuff, for my harvest. And he said, and the reason I'm going to do this is I can say then to my soul, you have many goods laid up from that harvest for yourself. So take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You don't have to work. Almost sounds like the young man who's asking for the inheritance. He doesn't want to work. He wants the benefit of having the ability not to. But God says to this man, Fool, this night your soul is going to be required of you. So who's going to own those things that you've provided? Whose harvest did the man reap? He thought it was his own. 
So he's going to build bigger barns and put it all in. Maybe God gave him a bountiful harvest so he could bless others. I have more than enough I can share. Do you remember when Jacob met Esau? And Jacob had sworn that, uh, uh, I mean, Esau had sworn that if he saw Jacob again, he was going to kill him. And Esau uh, was marching to Jacob with uh, 400 men on horses. And here comes Jacob with his wives and children and livestock he had gotten from Uncle Laban. And he sends them all as a gift. And he keeps asking, uh, who is this? And he says, this is a present for you from your uh, servant, uh, Jacob. Each time there's another band of gifts sent to Esau. And finally, Esau and Jacob meet face to face and the sworn brother to kill him looks at him and says, what is the meaning of all of this? He says, it's a present for you. I've seen you again and I'm alive. He says, take, take, it's yours. And listen to what Esau says. I have enough. I don't need more. I have enough. But this rich man in this story said, I have more than enough and I'm going to keep it. Not, God has blessed me to bless others. Our mentality is, I'm going to save this for a rainy day for when I have a tough time. Someone else might be having a tough time today and God gave you that for today. Not some other time. It may be that your harvest next year is going to be just as big or bigger if you'll do honorable and offer it to the Lord. What is your harvest? What do you reap in your life? You reap what you sow, but what are you reaping? Are you in danger of coveting the gift that God has given you over the God who gave it? So that brings us back to Exodus. The Israelites are enslaved. The Egyptians have taskmasters keeping them in bondage. There's there's more Israelites than there are Egyptians, so they have to keep them oppressed to keep them under control. The difference between people who are in slavery like that and folks who are enslaved to stuff is the folks who are enslaved like that know it. People who are enslaved to stuff don't always. They're aware of who has kept them in bondage. Many of us are in bondage today. We just don't know what we're in bondage to or why. And we wouldn't think it because we have a free country and we can do what we want. But the difference is, when the Israelites know they're in bondage, they don't want to be there anymore. With us, who are addicted to stuff and acquiring and all these other things that the world offers, we want more. We want more. You ever heard the story about the man who has a thousand dollars and the man who has a thousand babies, what the difference is between the two men? The man who has a thousand dollars wants more. The man with a thousand babies has enough. We don't know when enough is enough. We don't know how much is too much. There are people who are so wealthy in our country that they'll never be able to spend it all. There are some people who say, my goal, because they're so wealthy, is to give away 90% of everything I own before I'm gone. 
Because I just can't spend it all and I don't see any sense in someone using it for something that's ill-gotten or bad means. And there are people who actually do that. Give away and help and bless like that. Because they know it, they don't need it. And, and storing it up isn't going to help them. But there are some times in our lives when we look at our lives and we say, what really matters? And we can't find the answer. And so we try different things to give us peace and hope. Well, the Israelites, knowing they're enslaved, want to leave. The word exodus, if you look it up in the dictionary, is defined as a departure of many people. It's an exit, an external movement from in to out. So if you hear words like that begin with EX, that is a moving outward or an outward part. Like an exoskeleton is the outward skeleton of a hard-shelled creature. And the exit is to go out. The way out. External. It's not internal. It's out there, right? So exodus is a departure from where you are to something else. And the Israelites are praying for a departure from Egypt. And so God calls Moses at Sinai and says... I've heard the cry of my people and they are oppressed because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I'm going to send you that you may bring my people out of Egypt. What they've been praying for. First thing you need to know about being in an exodus from your situation is that you want out. That you want a different way of living life. If you don't know that you want out, God will most likely not present you away because you won't take it. The first thing to acknowledge is I'm in bondage and I want out. I looked around at the stuff Yesterday, and I said in my office, looking at it, and I said, I don't need this. I don't need hardly any of it. It's resources, it's stuff I'll never read, it's papers, it's files. Why do I keep it? What makes me think I have to have this and fear getting rid of it? The fear is that I'll miss the stuff. And the fear of not having the stuff is what keeps me in bondage. So it is with others many times. The fear. What keeps you in bondage? What keeps you stuck in the same cycles, repeating them? Some people are in bondage to an addictive substance. Some people are in bondage to their family because that's the only thing they see. They don't see other people around them. Some people are in bondage to their work. Some people are in bondage to the next dollar they can make. Some people are so consumed with that pursuit that the stock market ticks up or ticks down, they panic. Oh, I've lost a dollar. I've gained a dollar. The joy of watching and the sorrow of that can be addictive. And it's always going on. 
There are so many different things. Uh, upgrading through latest and greatest. I have an iPhone 7 Plus. It's a couple years old and, and beyond that now. And they came out with the latest and greatest two or three times since then. And I look at my phone and I go, I like my phone. Why do I want to upgrade? It does what it needs to do. I don't need a different stuff. I don't need to buy something else because it's faster or has a better camera. I don't need to do that. But there are people who believe they do. Because it's better. It makes their life better, so they think. And people are addicted to making their lives better. Hmm. What kind of upgrade would it be if you're living in a chalk house? What would you do to improve that? There's no running water. There's no electric. What would you do? Have a bigger uh, lamp? There's not much you can do there to improve. But we improve our lives thinking that we're better off that way. But somehow our lives are missing something because it isn't current. But I share this with you today. Your life is not based on stuff. It's based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's based on your relationship with our Heavenly Father who provides for you internally His Holy Spirit which gives you contentment in all things. Then when somebody says, you need this, I can say, I'm content with Jesus Christ. I don't need something to make me happy. His happiness is within me. Nothing needs to make me happy. I'm already happy. I can now decide not based on a need on something I acquire, but rather if or a want, either one. But I can now base that on whether or not it's functional for the joy that I have in my relationship with God and the people in my life and the work I'm doing for Him. So the second step out of bondage, the first one, of course, is recognizing you are. The second one is wanting out. And the third one is asking God to help. God, I need a change. I need to think differently. Sometimes we need to pray for others to become aware of their own stuck in bondageness. Because we see folks, you know, it's easy to see others bondage. You can see it right away, but your own, not so easy. However, if you want to know if you're stuck in something, ask someone close to you. Hey, is there anything in my life that seems to be detrimental that's kind of holding me back from being a better person, doing more? Guess what? If they're honest, they'll, they'll have something for you. I'm afraid to ask my wife. I'm afraid the list will be so long I'll never get done. Because she knows me pretty well. The internal changes are what God does. It's your internal voices and understanding of this world and God that determine what really matters externally. Stuff is X. I don't mean like gone. X. It's external. It's not a part of you. It's just around. The stuff that's internal is what life is all about. The heart. The soul, the peace, the joy, the happiness, the contentment with godliness is great gain. When you have all that that you need in Jesus Christ, you won't covet. Because you don't need that stuff. You might want it for this or that, but you're telling yourself the truth as to why you would want it, not because you need it. 
And you have to convince yourself that you do. <laughs> That's so funny. We have to convince ourselves we need it. Yeah, I have to convince myself I need to breathe, right? Mm-hmm. I have to convince myself I need to eat, that I need to sleep, that I need to have food, clothing, and sh- I need to convince. I don't have to convince myself of what I need. If you're trying to talk yourself into something, it's not a need. It's a want. <laughs> Truly. Because a need is what you really need. And you don't have to think twice about whether that's true or not. That is a good litmus test for you. Yet, we don't think of our lives as stuck or in bondage or trapped until you realize our country is more in debt as individuals than the country is as a country. Now, I may not have said that real clear, but our country is like $22 trillion in debt as the government, which equals about... Thirty to forty thousand dollars for every single human being lives in our country. That's how much we are indebted as a country. And yet it's said that personal debt is worse than that. Can you believe that? I can, I've heard some stories. People borrowing to pay off other debts that now they gotta accumulate more so they put it back on the other debt source. It happens all the time. We're in debt and we're in bondage to the lender. What are you in bondage to? Palm Sunday, we're going to take part in the Seder meal. Part of that is the bitter herbs. The bitter herbs remind us of the bitterness of being enslaved. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't know we're enslaved, so we don't know it's bitter. We just know we're not happy. We just know there's not any peace in our relationships or harmony. Slavery is bitter. It's uncomfortable. It's dangerous. And when you begin to think it's normal and a way of life, and how it's supposed to be, and you don't see it as bondage, you're in serious trouble of being wrapped in the box and never finding freedom from it. One way to tell if you're in bondage or slavery to something is where you spend your time, or where you spend your money, or where you spend your thoughts. Those three things are the way that you can tell what runs your life, what you're in bondage to, what keeps you awake at night, what haunts you. Those things hold you in bondage. Scripture said, we had it on here, do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. You've been set free to live a life of liberty, but we so gradually slip back in, we don't see it. So what do you serve or who? There are some people who are in bondage to good health. It's the only thing they want. I just, God, if I'm healthy, I'll serve you. I'm going to serve God whether I'm healthy or not. I'm going to serve God whether I'm rich or poor. Mm -hmm. Whether I got somebody or nobody. Whether I'm um, capable of moving or incapable, I'm still going to serve God. That's the choice that Jesus Christ has put within me that I love Him above all. That He's my first love. Yes, life can get tough, but He's still God. And He still wrote the end of the story. And He's the one who delivers out of bondage. On Passover, the blood was applied that said, bondage is gone. 
You don't have to live there anymore. You have a choice. But you have to first of all acknowledge whether or not you're there. You may believe in Jesus Christ and be a believer, but stuff in this world can still snare you and beset you on that path and get you focused on everything but kingdom principles and ideas. Those values can walk away and others come in place. It is a good thing to help people around the world. But it is a greater thing to love your neighbor. One who's near you. Or to love your family. It is a greater act to forgive people. To bless them and honor them even when it doesn't feel right because that not feeling right is bondage. Which makes you say, I don't have to do what God requires. Where do you stand in all this? I'm not telling you you have an exodus, you need an exodus. I'm asking, where are you now? You find out how important something is to you when you lose it. Case in point, I like desks. I had six of them at one point. True enough. I gave one to Goodwill. Gave one to Dale. I gave one to another friend. I have one in my office. I have one upstairs in the living room. And uh, my wife has a desk. She has one. That's all she needs. She's had one's enough. And I have another one in our basement. Why do I have all these? Because I like desks. How many of them do you think will go with me into the afterlife? None. And how many of them am I using right now? One. 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 You know what the others are doing? No, they're not sitting still. They're collecting dust and stuff. And they're in the walkway. They're in the way from my office to the bathroom. But I can't seem to part with it because I like it. Am I in bondage? How can I be in bondage? I have the choice to get rid of it. You see what I'm saying? How we talk to ourselves and convince ourselves that we're in control when in actuality, until God delivers us and we don't have to want it, we're in bondage. I hope that helps you understand a little bit more and why the bitter herbs on the plate when we partake of that remind us of the bitterness of the bondage and the pain of it even when we don't even realize it. Because it's been several thousand years ago that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. But you never want to forget the lesson. Even if you weren't there. And that's what we're going to do on Palm Sunday. But today, I'm asking you, are you stuck in stuff? Is there things that you just can't get out of your life and you just say, I want them there, but they really don't matter. Not in the long run. Do you have that? That's where you need to acknowledge before God today and ask Him to help you to recognize and help you get out of that bondage so you can make better choices with your relationship with God, not based on stuff you put ahead of Him. Don't worry. He's not going to mess your life up. And you will have peace at the end of the process of God doing the work inside. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
Sometimes I just need an exodus from stuff. An exodus from mindsets and ideas that just don't work. And I don't think I'm the only one. So I'm asking today that you would help us to recognize what we're in bondage to and to be free from it. Whether it's our attitudes toward others, toward ourselves, the way we think about ourselves, this world, all those things, Heavenly Father, if they're not based on a love that You put within us, it's destroying us and holding us captive. And we just can't see it because we're so connected and think it's true. God, I ask Your peace upon us now, Your mercy within us and Your grace bestowing us, that we would know You and we would have that blessed assurance that You run us and not us and not stuff. God, You have our lives. Take our wills and remind us that without You we come to nothing, just like the stuff. Heavenly Father, we're made out of stuff. Dirt. Pointless stuff. But we have an opportunity while we're alive to make this flesh and blood make a difference. So help us to do that. And rise up out of the stuff. Amen.